1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Dara here. Oh, could it be sunnier? Could it be prettier? Yeah, you know me. I'm the food or one of the food writers of Minneapolis St. Paul magazine. Also write about small dogs made of Pet fur. Yeah, I got a question about that. Yes, that is. A, that is a real. All of it is real. That woman is amazing. And if you uh, get a paper copy of the magazine, you will read the most amazing story of a lady in Hopkins who makes tiny dogs. No, it was real. I can't believe you thought it wasn't real. Totally real. Not fake news. Kind of improbable news, but not fake. Okay, so here's this. I have. A burning, burning desire to know what is being baked here in the Northland. What is being cooked? What are y'all up to? Are you making caramel rolls? Are you out there smoking things in the smoker? Um, I have a question for everybody. And this is for a call in or text later in the show. 651-989-9226. The big question is Cornbread. I was kind of looking for a northern, like a Minnesota heritage cornbread recipe, really coming up only with southern recipes. Okay, so you, you grew up here. You're a real Minnesotan or a real Iowan, a real Wisconsinite. You grew up with cornbread. Did you? Is it? Was it real? Is that a thing? Uh, So text me. I'm trying to figure out if cornbread had some kind of northern roots or if it's just always been just only a Southern thing. The recipes that I found in the old church cookbooks, they always kind of, you know, hearken back to the Northeast. It's like a Yankee cornbread or a barbecue Southern situation. So was there a, a Wisconsin, a Minnesota, an Iowa cornbread separately from that 651-989-9226? We will get to the whole cornbread situation throughout the show. But... The first thing that's going to do, talk to Eric Harsey. I got a request. Somebody requested Eric Harsey a few weeks ago. That was a very good idea because Eric Harsey is one of the chefs who've made the Twin Cities as amazing as it is the last 20 years. He used to have Victory 44, which transformed kind of spontaneous cooking in our time. Uh, Then he opened the Nordic Spot, the new Nordic Spot, Upton 43, and he got sick of all the city people. Went up to do Willard's in Cambridge, Minnesota, and a lot of people miss him here in town, including me. Eric Harsey. welcome to the show. Hey Dura. All right, I'll just bother you with the, my cornbread question. You're a real Minnesotan. Did you grow up with cornbread?
2: We we ate cornbread if we had venison chili. Oh, you know, that's kind of how we had it growing up.
0: Skillet, pan. Uh, don't worry about that guy. A uh, no. skillet cornbread. Uh, what was that? Uh,
2: my mom did a couple styles, more like a, you know, the the nine by thirteen cake pan, or we had muffin style cornbread.
0: All muffin the cornbread, all right, and but it didn't have fresh corn in it, and it was unusual.
2: It was, I think, it was always with like a, a can of of cream of corn soup was really how it came together. You put creamy corn, whatever that stuff is, in there, and
0: I love that stuff. What was yeah, that?
2: I, I don't know, but it it makes for good cornbread.
0: So that's what we used to do in New York too, and it was also unusual occurrence. Uh, all right. Well, probably
2: sweeter than normal too. A little, probably a little bit higher sugar content than like southern cornbread.
0: Well, southern cornbread always comes with honey somehow yeah. in the mix. It's always on the. Is it glaze or it's uh, honey butter at the end? All right. We'll see what other people have to say. Um. So tell me, how are things going up in ye old Cambridge, Minnesota, at Willard's? Yeah, it's it's going
2: really great. Uh, Is it? Yeah, it's. It's it's very different. Obviously, I'm back in my hometown, and and I love it. I love the people, but it's a little different culture than cooking in Minneapolis for for the last 15 years.
0: Yeah, we're high maintenance, but we come out. That's the. Which is the, a lot, uh, lot
2: more diversity, a lot more people. You know, up there, it's potatoes and and meat.
0: Yeah. So tell me about that. That was, I think, everybody. I don't know if anybody said it out loud, but the big question was: Is this level of uh, cooking gonna fly in Cambridge? And so right. the answer is yes.
2: It, it seems to be, you know, we we have to adapt to the to the town and and what people want. So there's some changes there, and obviously you've got kind of a pricing structure and portions probably are the the most difficult thing. I'm used to nice tight, proper sized portions, and we do food by the pound. A bit. Do you <laughs> really? That's big portions.
0: What was uh, so you know? Give me an, give me something that's doing real well up in Cambridge that.
2: The crazy thing, we're on our, it's like our 15th menu right now. So oh, okay. So what I was pretty surprised with is how much people want new things change all the time. Is that so? Fresh fish, new fish. We put mussels on and they've been just flying off the shelf. So it's just things like, it's just kind of that ever change, I think, is where we're adapting the palates and getting people adjusted to, to trust the restaurant.
0: Muscle. See, that's kind of a – that's a tough seafood. It's got yeah. a – not tough like tender, but a tough like challenging. I mean, it comes with a shell. You got a lot of mess. Really? Yep. That's, that's- – Yeah. We're
2: we we're moving tons of fresh fish. And, you know, we do the staples like chicken and pork chops, and that stuff's always – it always moves. But I'm surprised at how much fresh fish we, we get flying off the shelves there.
0: See, I – grew up as a line cook in the northeast, you know, on the beach out there. And so I spent a summer of my life pretty much just standing in one spot de bearding muscles. Right. And I <laughs> and that's you pull off they have this little seaweedy thing that's what we call a beard. And, you know, very important to get that off. I feel very strongly that I'm never going to de beard muscles for any amount of time ever again. Like, yeah. this is my, you is know, with God as my witness, job. I will never stand in yes. front of a mess sink, you know, and do this. I have already put in my 2,000 hours. <laughs> uh, but I don't, you know, obviously. So I love getting muscles when I go out because yes, guess what? Someone done, else did right? that. <laughs> somebody else has put in their 2,000 hours. Yes. And I. somebody on Twitter this morning was asking, uh, you know, if making holidays for eggs benedict for one person was uh, worth it <laughs> I was like under no circumstances yeah. like, you can't get a, you know you can't get a right. decent amount of hollandaise for one that is a definite time to go out i don't know
2: if you can make it for one i think you have to like make it at least for five i think so too just to get the right butter and egg yolk ratio
0: and if you haven't done it before your odds are messing it up or not you know right. you get some scrambled egg <laughs> hollandaise the first couple times and so i was kind of thinking like what are the foods that are absolutely not worth it doing at home for me it's muscles but other people could feel differently and then eggs benedict and croissants like that's another one you don't i never really want 12 to 30 croissants i want one croissant
2: yeah and it's and it's flaky and beautiful and you know and it, it. no one has the equipment at home to do half the stuff correctly and your arms are too tired rolling out the dough and i mean that's why restaurants exist.
0: Exactly. Exactly. All right. So uh, the people of Cambridge have embraced fresh seafood. That seems reasonable.
2: Yeah. And we do a lot of the, the classics. Like we, we do the old hot beef and we do wild rice soup. And you do hot beef? Yeah. We do a really great hot beef. We, oh. we actually use the beef cheeks. So, do you? You know, that was kind of interesting. Everyone's like, well, what, what side of the animal are the cheeks from?
0: <laughs> oh, Lordy. <laughs> you know, yeah. See, they have no excuse. Down here in the city, we, we have the excuse of being uh, screen addicted idiots. But, well, Wait, you know, up there, farmers. like, what you're supposed to know. know yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so. Um, That's very amusing to me. So people, if you're just joining my five-year journey of hot beef, um, (laughs) that was, I discovered, kind of the food that men would have off the farm when they went into town, bringing the lumber, bringing the whatever, in the 1940s, 30s, 20s. Um, I think because it did a couple things well. People, like a a town cook, could make good gravy because they had all day to do it. And then you could, you know, get a big old meat and potatoes plate, which you need when you're a farmer working in the cold. Yep. Uh, but it wasn't – it didn't have to be steak. It wasn't, like, the prime cuts. It was right. the second it's back. It's
2: always tender. It's been cooked yeah. for hours. And...
0: So then I discovered that, lo and behold, in the 1960s, they started – Pillsbury particularly – started marketing gravy packets. And then our whole darn gravy beef situation fell off a cliff. Yes. Uh But – you brought it back.
2: Yeah. You know what's funny? So my my grandpa owned a restaurant in Cambridge forever, and his hot beef was legendary. Really? So now we'll get some of our older clientele who will be like, it's good, but it's not as good as your grandpa's gravy.
0: Oh, is that a a compliment or is that like the thing you can never, got to get a therapist up to like help you unpack that? What do you
2: do different? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't get his recipe. You know, it's just our meat's different.
0: Or maybe your memories of the past are, you know, different. We put
2: butter in ours probably and who knows, you know, it's a little richer. But his gravy was pretty legendary up north.
0: Really, oh, that's just fascinating. Um, if anybody, <laughs> if anybody can fill us in on why Eric Harsey's grandfather's gravy was better in Cambridge, what was the name of his restaurant? Do you know?
2: It was called the Lighthouse. So he had the Lighthouse and the Cafe Stuga in Harris. So oh. that's still in the family. So.
0: All right, yeah. Text us six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Why was Eric's grandfather better than he can ever be? No. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> so do you get people coming in? To, you know, so you grew up in Cambridge. You have people coming in all the time. Like I knew you when you were oh, two yeah. feet high. Yeah. Oh, really? I, I
2: mean, I know everybody in that town. You know, and I got kids that are active and everything. So it's like I'm seeing everyone all the time now, and you know, it's just like a, it's not really much of a homecoming anymore. It's like a daily thing, like. Yeah, we talked yesterday. We're all cut up. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: How does that feel? Because you, you were down here like hustling between three restaurants for a piece.
2: Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it's it's way different. It's more interaction with, with the guests than I had in the cities. You know, I had the chef's tastings or or an occasional, you know, you'd walk through the dining room. But there it's open kitchen and I'm seeing everyone, you know, some people are there two, three times a day. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
0: So. Really? That's kind of the American dream.
2: It is, you know. It's they're like, well, rather eat here than cook at home. I'm like, yeah, we'd rather that too. So you come in.
0: <laughs> I mean, being known in and to your community is so rare these days.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's cool. It's it's just a, I you don't know. It's a blessing to just be able to know everyone and kind of know what people want and you get honest honest feedback. Sometimes not always the way you want to hear it, but you know, it's just how people are.
0: Oh, funny. So you have had the journey of of. The chef in the twenty twentieth slash twenty first century. I remember at Upton Forty Three, you know, you were just pushing every boundary. You uh, you had a dessert course that was like brought out on plank, you know, like thin <laughs> planks, and there would be like thirty five desserts on there. And this one is a shard, and this one's a butterfly, and this yep. one's a, you know. So you had that avant garde pushing every envelope. Experience And now you're having this, you know, cooking for people that have known you since you were a baby.
2: Yeah. And we're just kind of doing home cooked food. I mean, we, we put the chef element to everything and try to keep it really beautiful and really tight technique. But I'm just I'm just home cooking. I'm like a like what's a more. I got to
0: gonna put you on the spot. What's more fun? What's more fun is to do the crazy. It's on a stick or, or people can't under on a stick means something else in Minnesota. I mean, on a very thin, wide, fancy plank, yeah. if you all can imagine that.
2: They they're both fun. Um I think good, you know, comfort home cooking foods probably a little bit more like everyday it feels good cuz you know it's like people really love it where when you're pushing the boundaries and it's a little more avant-garde there's a lot of people like it's good I think but I don't understand it, you know, and I don't think many people crave high-level avant-garde stuff. It's it's more the experience, you know. So
0: Okay, we're gonna take a little break here. We get to the text line. Oh, we got cornbread answers. If you listeners know whether cornbread is a northern had a northern life of its own or has always been a southern or New England thing, uh, text us 651-989-9226. More with Eric Harsey when we come back. All right, Dara here. When I'm not writing for Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. I'm making enemies with my question about cornbread. all right, so this is what I'm hearing from y'all on your on the question I gotta I got a shout out in praise of Sam's club. Come on lady, you can't do this to me. you are just that is not good for you. That is not good for your experience of American culture. you gotta you gotta upgrade you can't just you can't do you can't do this to me personally. This is just hurting my heart. Um, I got another one. It's a cornbread. It's a Jiffy cornbread and a Jiffy yellow cake mix. Um, Boy, that's another one. I'm not sure if that counts as a. we have a northern cornbread culture. I do have one that is uh, somebody uses a cornbread cake using apple cider from Pine Tree Orchard instead of milk. And that I can get behind. That feels like cooking. It feels like using the place that we are. Now I'm just thinking we are one of the top corn-producing places in the history of all time, and uh, you know maybe people are just sick of it. You look at, maybe it's like me and beard and muscles all the time. You look out the window, you see corn all day. You don't want you don't want it on your dinner plate. Could be true. All right, so Eric Harsey is here from Willards. I got a Willards question. How did Willards get its name?
2: So uh, Willards is named after my grandpa. Everyone oh. called him Bill, but his full name was Willards. So. Oh. That's, that's where the name
0: came. Um all right. And so t- you know, so here's the thing. So you have four kids. You're up at you're up in Willard's like you're having the old experience of what it was like to live in America. You're yeah. you're like people can see you. So many people have jobs today and you couldn't possibly tell what those jobs are right, you know, yeah, they're just right. like, Oh, I, you know, I work at a skyscraper doing a thing that you'll never understand, and then I'm going to change it into another thing. And so, like, but you have a job, people can see you, and they can see your kids running around,
2: yeah, every day. Well, five days a week, we take two off so we can rest,
0: yeah. Well, you got <laughs> to, I, that seems to be more and more popular. Um, Exper- I talk to restaurant people, and the idea that you have to take time off so you don't burn out is becoming more and more uh, ingrained in the culture, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's
2: it's important.
0: There was a lot of years of people sacrificing their mental health and their knees and their relationships and everything, and it's like, well, then what are you? What do you got? You know, what do you got left? Yeah,
2: it's a cool cultural shift. I think I think the awareness is good. You know. Everyone got burned out enough to be like, man, we gotta take care of ourselves a little bit. And you start seeing people with like gym memberships and stuff, you know. It's like, wow. I remember, f- I remember the
0: I remember the first time a chef told me that he was taking time to work out and I was just like, You what? Yeah. You're Isn't some- that
2: putting away your order? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let me ask you, um, you're not Willard's in Cambridge is not the only restaurant, um, you know, nicer restaurant. In a small town, that's starting to be a thing. We had JD Fratsky on here a few weeks ago, who's doing Falls Landing in Cannon Falls, and uh, there's a couple others that are, you know, on Talk, which is this very nice restaurant reservation system. And you go and you see these small towns. Is it, uh, is it like the the f- uh, food networking of America? You know, so many people are so just watch food TV all the time. Is is that your customer base or?
2: Yeah, I I would say there's some of that. You know, there's the the foodies, as people call them. But, you know, I think it's people, too, that have been lacking a great restaurant. Or, like, the the, the thing I hear all the time is, man, it's nice to not have to drive all the way to Minneapolis for a good meal. You know, so it's like we can have a date night and you can have a couple cocktails and you've only got to drive, you know, three minutes back home. So I think it was a need that was being filled. And I'm sure a lot of small towns feel that way.
0: Really? So you feel like it's, um, so it's not the Food Network, you know, watcher? It's,
2: yeah, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't really know what the Food Network watcher is. I'm not one of the guys that watches it myself. So I know a
0: ton of people who say that, that's their, their kind life. of background music, you know, yeah. if they're cleaning or they're doing something, they have the Food Network on because it's soothing. And right. It's, you yeah, don't maybe have.
2: that's the same people. I don't know.
0: Because it does, you do start to sort of get a, a certain amount of food literacy through osmosis. Yeah, you, for
2: you, sure, for sure.
0: Because you, you know, learn what capers are. Maybe a generation ago, you didn't. Or
2: yeah, our seasonal, you know, inspirations on the show will get you. Oh, I've got tomatoes in the garden. I better try it with some basil or something. You know.
0: All right, we got another question um, about the Cambridge scene. So you kind of recalibrated your life work balance, as it were. If you were going to talk to a young chef coming up. What would you say about the kind of trade-offs of cities and restaurants and, and your life, and like, what do, you, what do you give advice for a young chef about how to juggle all of this?
2: I think I think it's important when you're young and you know prior to your starting a family or relationships that you really put your time in I mean, get in good kitchens, do your stages, do your apprentice and, and really grind it out with a good chef. Do your research. And I would say you need to do that with a couple guys. But then as you start to get a little older, you need to kind of follow your own heart and instincts to know that you don't have to work 16-hour days and 18-hour days and be driven by what people tell you the industry is. You really have to be like, I have to take care of myself.
0: Because no. there's always going to be someone who's willing to take that 16-hour yeah. day, that 18-hour day, yeah. as much as you're willing to give.
2: And then realize you just don't get ahead in it. You, you wear out, and your productivity lessens, and your, you know, your mind isn't as sharp after a certain amount of, of hours. So it's how do you be really productive in a, in a reasonable amount of time and, and give your best to the restaurant?
0: Because that's the hardest thing, too, restaurants, because you're surrounded by all the alcohol and oh, yeah. all of the other stuff. And yep. people always be like, oh, you need to get to hour 18? Well, I got gotta, I gotta yeah, bump. Here's on. a little
2: bump for you. And, yeah.
0: Well. So um, would you say something like, you know, in your in your 20s, early 30s, you know, travel, experience different restaurants. Do you, you know, put in those hours and then maybe put a put a hard stop in your head, like, I'm going to stop it. 30 or 32 or 35 or something and like take some time and reevaluate.
2: yeah definitely and really kind of know where you want to go like know what if you really want to be into butchery spend the time doing butchery really learn the craft and really really hone your skills in so that you're you're an asset when you go to a kitchen Some people I think are you know an inch deep and a mile wide.
0: Oh, yeah, that too. You
2: know, so there's there's not enough depth to be really effective in the kitchen because you're like, well, I, I did this and I've been here and I was a pastry chef once. And it's like, well, you've got to really hone in on some areas. It's it's good to know it all, but you've, you've got to be.
0: So you can start a mile yeah. wide in each yes. dip, but then you have to. There was a tradition or a, a habit in the Twin Cities for a while of putting in time at a couple of the of the. Either fish or meat places. There, you know, people will go work at Clancy's for six months right. doing the artisanal butchering, and now you could do that at uh, Lowry Hill Meats or um, St. Paul, oh the St. Paul Meats. Or then there would be, you know, you could go to Coastal Seafoods. That was a big thing and before it was Fortune Fish, and before uh, before Fish Guys came around. So right. that, those are all, you know, you can, you know, kind of work your way through the stations still. For sure,
2: and, it, and I think it's just it's learning the product, it's learning what you're working with you know, I I think it's hard when you're a young chef because you don't make any money. So it's hard to go eat at these great restaurants. Right. But you get um, when you're just doing certain tasks in the restaurant, you know, you peel potatoes, you make mash, you don't actually eat the complete dish. So you don't understand the experience you're supposed to have. And I think it's important to to sit across from the kitchen, taste the food and really understand, like, what's the chef trying to do here? What are they trying to, to evoke? What's the feeling? What's the emotion? And Sometimes it's hard when you're young because you're just spinning your head all the time. But. Do you
0: do that for your people now? You're, you give yeah. them the full, the full dinner so they're not uh. – Yeah,
2: we try to you – know, I, like I put the food up all the time and it's like take time and eat it and taste it and tell me what, what do you feel, what are you, what are you getting. and Oh, I get acid or it's, I get salt. And, well, why do you think we do that? I think it's really constant training, constant development of palate helps staff.
0: Interesting. All right, this has been fun. I've been talking to Eric Harsey from Willards in Cambridge, Minnesota. Um, Eric, oh, was so great to see you. Thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah, you too. In.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk to Mike Byrne. He's the bartender and uh, kind of movie creator person at the Parkway Theater. They do vintage movies, and he invents cocktails. We'll do a little fun segment talking to him about how he does it. You got movies, you want to stump Mike Byrne? Text us, 651-989-9226, and I am also taking calls. I'll be taking calls uh, maybe, let's say, 1145 on. We'll do the whole last section talking to you people. You want to talk to me, I want to talk to you, 651-989-9226. All right, Dara here. We are talking to Mike Byrne now. He's at the Parkway Theater He has, it's either a job that is the best job in the history of all time or possibly a job that would eventually drive you insane. Uh, So the Parkway Theater does um, older movies. They bring back cult hits. And then Mike's job, Mike Byrne's job, is to come up with a cocktail that goes with it. Uh, So I'm looking at his page of all the things he's been doing. He made a cocktail for American Graffiti, the classic old movie. Uh, He made a cocktail for Fast Time. At Ridgemont High, a classic of my own childhood, with a little umbrella drink and its Spicoli's tasty wave. Um, he did, a, he did a. I mean, I can't even list them all. There's a Spinal Tap drink and a Pretty in Pink drink and a Blazing Saddles drink that is uh, perfect in every way. And then I can't say on the air because it doesn't have a good uh, radio-friendly <laughs> name. And a Star Wars drink, all you Star Wars people, an Alderon cooler that was a non-alcoholic. Uh, that blue butterfly tea, uh, that marigold butterfly, mm-hmm. whatever it is, tea that turns colors—it's the neatest thing in the world. All right, Mike Byrne, you have America's dream job.
3: You could say that, yeah. It's a—it's a job that never ends, but it's a job that's really fun, quite rewarding, yeah.
0: All right, so you—you um, you brought in a couple things, but I gotta say, when you look at something like Evil Dead, which you did a mm-hmm. a bloody sangrita mm-hmm. for. How, what's your process? How do you get into this? Yeah,
3: so sometimes you think of the movie, and if I'm familiar with it, right away I kind of have an idea. I think I want to go with either a line from the movie or something like Big Lebowski that you know you just have to do a white Russian for.
0: Yeah, if, that was cl- – okay, so for the Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. um, which I feel is a Minneapolis movie, though, it's clearly not, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's – Well, it is kind of half Minneapolis, half Los Angeles, because the Coen brothers. Yeah. All right. So, if obviously he's walking around with a White Russian, half Mm -hmm. of it, half of the movie. So that makes sense. But you took it another another step forward. So the the kind of slogan of the movie is the Dude abides. Mm -hmm. You made the Dud. Yeah, we had had
3: a surplus of milk duds in the basement. We'd selling them, but we needed. I knew I had something to do with something a twist on it that had to be White Russian related. Kind of played around with it. Double boiled the milk duds down mixed in some Kahlua, some cream, and made like a Kahlua milk dud cream cordial and then just mixed that with some vodka, and the white Russian kind of came to life, and the dud abided that day.
0: That's the craziest thing. So your job was just go to go to work, boil up some milk.
3: To- <laughs> yep, it's another day at the office.
0: <laughs> um, and so, all right, so you said you, you brought some things. Tell me mm-hmm. about what you brought here today. I brought
3: uh, last week's drink we have just played a uh, sold-out show. It was Harold and Maude. And I made, this was a tough one, I wasn't sure what to do with it, but we kind of went the direction of the Cat Stevens soundtrack route, and I made a a tea for the Tillerman, kind of a tea-infused, black tea, chamomile tea-infused gin, and then I made an iced tea simple syrup and a kind of homemade lemonade, and it was kind of like an Arnie Palmer gin with a twist. I've got that one right here, if if you're allowed to have a few drinks here.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's... Well, it's it's just so fascinating. Yeah. Harold and Maude is such a dark, mm-hmm. light movie. It's so complicated. A yeah. friend of mine was just going to show it to his kids, and I was like, "Ooh, yeah. is that okay?" Like, it's, uh, I don't know, man.
3: Helps to have a drink. I'll tell you. I'll say that.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, and then tell me about tell me about like some what have been some really difficult like challenging. What's a movie that's because some movies are really. Brainy movies, yeah. right?
3: There's, so Sometimes the hardest, the easiest movies to think of that, that you think it might have a really nice drink or it can be difficult, and sometimes the hard ones just are t- playing hard. I, I brought one in that is coming up for our next week's movie, Hairspray, and I really had no idea what to do with it. I thought about the movie. I started watching it, and right away they go on a show that kind of the bandstand show was the Corny Collins show. So I'm like, well, I, a, a Tom Collins is a kind of a known classic cocktail. Can I make a, a Collins cocktail that has... Corn in it, and that was the question. And I think I might have answered it. I kind of cooked down like a corn strawberry simple syrup. All right, I'm
0: gonna try a corny yes. Collins. That's and, a and be idea. honest,
3: let me know because I was trying to walk the fine line of a drink that might have a bit of corn flavor to it, but also be like a savory, nice vodka cocktail.
0: Okay, that tastes good. Yeah, but it just tastes tangy. I don't. am not getting the corn.
3: You're not getting any corn. You might have to keep drinking then. Oh, I, really? and, I'm, and this is also <laughs> still a work in progress. I've got a few more days to peg this one down.
0: Oh funny all right we got a uh we got a question about bring it on um we got a question about well how to so do you just do do you just serve these for the duration of the movie or are they kind of available generally
3: so we'll do a, mo- a drink for every Thursday night movie and we'll kind of have it for as long as it goes. sometimes they sell it right away if they're really popular sometimes they'll go through the weekend and sometimes if they're really popular, we'll actually bring them on over full-time menu we've got a list of about eight cocktails that kind of rotate through all movie theme inspired so
0: oh really and so this is all so the parkway theater tell everybody about it it's in south minneapolis yep. and it's uh you know a mix of kind of events and retro movies and
3: exactly it's kind of like a multi-purpose space we do a lot of movies classic movies on thursdays a lot of uh, more family focused uh movies on saturday afternoons uh, the matinees we do a lot of music shows on the weekends and also like podcasts, comedies. So really anything you can want to sit down and enjoy, we can take care of that for you.
0: Oh, it's fun. And so you're the head bartender of this mm-hmm. whole situation. <laughs> I love that you did a jerk daiquiri. That yeah. is just So so amusing. That was
3: another one that sounded like, can I make a cocktail that has like a jerk sauce flavor to it but is also... Tasty and people are going to enjoy it. So it was kind of like I cooked down some jerk, made like a kind of a Jamaican rum cocktail, kind of like almost like a Mai Tai. And I thought it turned out really nice. Had a really nice spicy, savory taste to it.
0: That was one I got to try before Christmas. And it mm-hmm. was. It I was did really, bring that yeah. in for you, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, it's, uh, it's just such a, it's such a different way. You know, so many of the bartenders are, you know, constantly thinking about New ingredients Mm -hmm. or or ways to kind of update classic prohibition situations Mm -hmm. for today, and you're the only bartender I know of that's coming at it in this completely, oh, you know, literary, artistic sense. It's a very fun, different way of thinking about any of this. Yeah, it's
3: it's fun because it allows me to make a drink that people are going to get excited about. That's really tied to one small event. And if it's great, that's awesome and people love it. And if it's not so good, then it's like, all right, well, I move on to the next one. I've got another drink in seven days i got to come up with. so.
0: Oh, because I kind of want to do this in my house. You know, it just sure. immediately just I'll makes me by. feel like <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel like, oh, I could, you know, uh, uh, make. You know, I, I know we're gonna watch the Tintin movie, and so therefore I could make some Tintin, but I would never do it. It's too. It's way much more. It's much more difficult to invent <laughs> a new you. cocktail yes, it than it, than people think. Um. So all right, people want to try all of these new cocktails. Come to the Parkway Theater. So it's Parkway Theater dot com mm-hmm. in South Minneapolis, and every Thursday, you do this.
3: Yeah, we've got uh, hairspray coming up this Thursday, and then I've got Terminator Two just around the bend. So. We'll Terminator Two. That's gonna be that. hard. I, it's very hard. I watched it the other night. I'm leaning towards maybe melting down, cooking down some Shasta cola, and doing like a Shasta La Vista baby. But well, that's just the, my first idea. I have still got a few weeks there.
0: You got a good pun brain. It's all
3: puns. That's yeah, a very.
0: Know. That's a very specific skill. This <laughs> uh, bartender thing doesn't work out for you, and it seems to be. I think you have multi-purpose. Right, yeah, you have a big future in advertising. <laughs> All <laughs> Thank right. you, yeah. All right, uh, Mike Byrne for the Parkway Theater. Thank you for coming Thanks in. Thanks for having me, yeah. All right, everybody else, if you want to try some movie-themed cocktails, find out about this whole thing. It's a really fun date night to go and see Absolutely. a retro movie and you don't have to um, engage with the current culture. You can just go into the past and see the cool stuff. Uh, that's Thursdays at the Parkway. So I've got an angry text. You're going to want to stick around for this. Why did I throw this poor lady under the bus? These are the questions. Um, and you can call in. We're going to do a big cornbread story situation, get the room read on all of that. 651 989 9226. Dara here. All right. I just I thought I'd just asking an innocent question about whether people eat cornbread in the North if it's a historically deep situation. Now I've just made an enemy of. Uh, Some nice person who says, Thanks for tossing me under the bus for my Sam's Club cornbread comment. The label indicates it's made in Concord, Ontario. Is that north enough for me? No matter what your snobby comments are, it tastes good to me. Well, here's a story, my friend. No, that is not north enough for me. Walmart owns Sam's Club. Walmart is a southern thing. They are also uh, generally on a path to destroy America through uh, low wages and terrible products, uh, low low nutrition products that leave you hungry. Lady, I may really like you and respect you and want you to be healthy. There is no way you are going to get someone who has dedicated their life to food to be like, oh, well, Sam's Club is a good situation. I am a connoisseur. Is certainly a snob, and certainly I'm out here fighting for y'all to eat a healthy food situation. And the ecosystem that Sam's Club and Walmart represent is like the opposite of everything I've been doing for my whole life. So you may think like, oh, this is an innocent situation. No, this is you are coming to someone who has been waging this war for 20 years and just being like, well, here's an innocent comment. It's an innocent comment to you. It's not an innocent comment to me. And also... You're not being fed well when you're feeding yourself through Sam's Club. How old is food that is driving down here from Ontario? Why are we doing that to the planet? Why are you putting all of that emissions into the air? This is not, you know, I love you. I do not love that choice you are making. And I'm definitely not going to go uh, be intimidated by being called a snob. This is a culture war that I will fight to the death, I don't care. If you never hear from me again, I will be wherever I am uh, appreciating corn. That's that's what I'm going to do. Corn appreciation here with me. All right, so now we've got Marie and McGrath joining the craziness. Marie, welcome to the show.
4: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm uh, glad I got through. Um, I was born and raised up here for about 10 years, and my mom always made what we called uh, Johnny Cake. Oh, really? And it was. Uh, she didn't use corn though in it. She used the corn meal and sugar. Well, when we got down to Arkansas, she she started making cornbread, and she got the recipe from a neighbor lady. And she said when she made it, she says this is exactly like like uh, Johnny cake, except it doesn't have sugar in it. So when you was, say Johnny cakes, was that like
0: a pancake situation? Made the batter and fried it up in the pan, like. No, she put, style?
4: It, she put it in a thirteen by nine pan, and, or the no, she used the her big cast iron skillet and baked it in the oven.
0: Oh, so it was one big, what I would call a cornbread, and but it was it, so a skillet cornbread, but she called it a Johnny cake.
4: Yeah, oh, and interesting. That, we had it for dessert because it had sugar in it, and then and then when we got to Arkansas, uh, the corn the cornbread recipe didn't have sugar, and that was the only thing it did not have. Otherwise, it was the same as what our Johnny cake up here was. Okay, and so you did you grow up in McGrath? Is that a McGrath, Minnesota thing? Well, I, we we were I was ten when we left here to go to Arkansas, and then in '79 I came back up here to take care of my dad, and uh, I'm still here.
0: <laughs> okay, so this was a so your family is sort of half and half in the south and in the north.
4: Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, Marie, thank you
0: for this uh, the insight. Yeah, sweeter. um, I don't know
4: whether you can find Johnny Cake on the computer or not. I don't have a computer. Um, I was controlled by one when I was working, and so forget it. I won't have one.
0: Don't do it. Be free. All right. Thank you, Marie. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bye bye. All right. I gotta stay on my soap. Box, Dara, text, thank you, and a you-go, girl. Yeah, see, I can't – you just can't stop me in these situations. All right, I did put this question out on Twitter about the northern cornbread situation, and everybody just seems to be like, nope, it's southern. Nope, it's from New England. We live in a lot of corn, but apparently we don't eat it. So that's – Jonathan now is just nodding at me.
5: (laughs) I just think that the way that corn is used in different parts of the country – um, it's not going to be used the same way in Iowa or Minnesota or Wisconsin as it would possibly be used in Arkansas, or Oklahoma, or Alabama or Georgia. But so, can you
0: see the why that would be weird? Not necessarily because it's growing out there. It,
5: it's growing, but it's it, different climates. You know, the, corn would be used some different ways in, let's say, a country like Nigeria or Mexico or. Yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe Everybody has Japan. their own
0: local food traditions, exactly. and what I'm asking is, why don't we have that as a local food tradition? I mean, I have had you can get a locally milled, you know, grits kind of corn and make a wonderful polenta out of it, or make a wonderful cornbread out of sure. it. Sure, um, and we are the sweet corn, you know, epicenter of the world. So it is a it's a curious hole, but apparently. Uh, it's a curious hole that will remain an intellectual mystery because everybody says, "Yeah, that's not what we do here."
5: And and there may be different varieties of corn that are that are grown in different parts of the country, just like there are different types of wheat that are grown across different parts of the country. So or we might, had a wheat
0: culture, you know, that's just beautiful. Yeah, we have a perfect, wonderful bread culture, local milling culture. Um, and you won't find you won't find the
5: same culture that you find here down in the south or over in the northeast it won't quite be the same but
0: that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for the northern cornbread culture which doesn't exist Uh, i got a text that says my family is from the south and so the cornbread they serve in minnesota strikes me almost like cake that's what we're hearing the if there is a cornbread here it is a cake
5: more spongy more more airy more doughy style not not gritty yep
0: all right well we will we will revisit this as often as we like to make make enemies, make friends. We'll do all the things with the cor- we'll do all these things in lieu of having actual cornbread. We'll just have we'll just have cornbread wars of the north. <laughs> That'll just be. It. I actually did Google this before I started, and the only cornbread Minnesota thing was like a link to a, a drug running gang. So it just um, the whole thing is just preposterous. But what is also preposterous is that I'm going on vacation next week. I will not be here. I'll be dog sledding in Montana for. Uh, A little upcoming story in Delta Sky and eating some French laundry food because French laundry goes on the road to Montana occasionally. When I come back, I will tell you all about it here on Off the Menu.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.